Christ is risen. We would like to wish all of our guests, visitors, radio, radio listeners, a blessed Easter. We're happy to have guest organist Becky Quellhorse with us this morning. Becky and her husband Tom are from New Bremen. Congratulations to Josh and Nicole Brown on the birth of their son, Everett Joseph, who arrived on Thursday, April 18th, weighing in at 8 pounds, 5 ounces. Grandparents Randy and Diane Wright, Ron and Karen Brown. Sunday school classes are being held today at their normal times following the morning service. VBS is coming. Mark your calendar. The NK Community VBS, which is hosted by the NK United Methodist Church and First Church, is going to be June 10th through 14th. Please rise and join me in the call to worship. This is the good news. The grave is empty. Christ is risen. This is the good news. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never put it out. This is the good news. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness... (laughs) Excuse me. The, The good news. Once we were no people, now we are God's people. Christ is our peace, the indestructible peace we now share with each other. He is risen. risen Now let us sing hymn 217, Christ the Lord is risen today.
While the kids are coming up for a children's chat, greet those near you with the joy that comes from our risen Lord. That's good. All right. So this morning, as some of you were coming up, I passed out some eggs. Come have a seat, little man. Awesome. All right. So I don't have I don't have this many eggs. I only have 12 eggs. Okay. but look, I passed them all out. But who has the blue egg? Josephine, open it up. What's in your blue egg? A donkey. What does the donkey represent? Jesus rode into the donkey where? To route to Jerusalem. On what day did he do that? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Good job. All right. Who has the light pink egg? All right, Courtney, what's in your egg? Money. Why would we have money? What does money have to do with Easter? Michael, what does money have to do with Easter? I kind of forget. You kind of forget. That's okay. <laughs> Courtney, do you remember? I'm not no, you're not Courtney. You're Caitlin. Hoagie family, wrong kid. <laughs> nope, not yet. The coins stand for because the soldiers weren't sure who Jesus was. So they wanted somebody to tell them who Jesus was, and so they paid him to do that. Okay, light purple. What's in the light purple cup? There you go. What is that? A cup. That's right. When did they use the cup? Do you remember? On Good Friday? During what? During the Last Supper, right. During the Last Supper when Jesus, when Jesus had the um, Passover meal with his uh, disciples up in, the, up in the upper room. Orange. Who has the orange egg? Okay, what's in your orange egg? Hands. hands. What are those hands doing? They're praying. They're praying. After the meal, Jesus went out into the garden to pray. Okay, so those hands represent Jesus praying. Just pass them forward. Um, let's see. Green. Who has the green egg? Evan. Open it up, dude. What was in there? Well, it's actually a rope that they used to bind Jesus' hands when they arrested him. Okay? When they arrested him. All right, can you put that back in there for me? Light yellow. Michael, what's in there? A crown of thorns. What did they do with that crown of thorns? They put it on his head. They put it on his head, right. Very good. Yellow. Who has the dark yellow one? All right, Connor. What's that cross made out of? Okay. Nails. Nails. How many nails are part of that cross? Three, okay, one for each hand and one for his feet when they nailed him to the cross. Okay, who has the light green one? Dice. Why dice? Were they playing games? They were playing games. 
They, yes, they rolled the dice to see who was going to get Jesus' clothes. Good job. Okay, what about purple? Who has the purple egg? Matthew has the spear. Do you know what they use the spear for, Matthew? Do you remember? No? No? Right, they poked it in the sides to make sure that those who were hanging on the cross were dead. Cream, who has the cream-colored egg? Yep, right up here. What's in there? What is that? A piece of cloth? Because after they took Jesus down off of the cross, they wrapped him in cloth and put him in a cave. Okay, pink, who has the pink one? All right, Regan, what's in the pink one? A rock. A rock. What did they use the rock for? To put, it in the cave. to put it in front of the cave, right. Right. We have one leg egg left. Where is the light blue one? Okay, Caitlin, what's in there? Nothing. Nothing? Why is it empty? Because he rose. Because he rose from the dead because the tomb was empty. Good job. Well, I want to thank you guys for helping me tell the story of Easter. Okay. Yep, we did these at preschool, didn't we? Well, I have one last thing to share with you guys. Okay? Do you know that they make a prayer about jelly beans? They do. They make a jelly bean prayer. And so I thought the best way to end our time up here together would be for us to pray about jelly beans and how they are part of Easter. And then as you leave, if you go over here to Michelle, she's got a basket that has jelly beans in for you guys. So let's pray. Red is for the blood he gave. Green is for the grass he made. Yellow is for the sun so bright. Orange is for the edge of night. Black is for the sins we made. White is for the grace he gave. Purple is for his hour of sorrow. Pink is for our new tomorrow. A bag full of jelly beans, colorful and sweet, is a prayer, is a promise, is an Easter treat. Amen. Happy Easter, guys. I invite you to pray with me once again this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise your name this morning. We thank you that your glory, your power, your love is on full display this morning through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we praise you because you are alive. Death in the grave could not keep you. And in your death, you conquered death. And in your resurrection, you bring us the hope and the assurance of eternal life. Lord, we ask that you would make us a resurrection people this morning. Breathe new life in us as we die to ourselves, and live for you. Enable us, we ask, by your Holy Spirit to turn from our sin, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Father, we lift up our prayers and concerns to you that are uh, represented in this community, those gathered here in in our greater New Knoxville community, and even those listening on the radio, Lord. We ask for your provision, your guidance, and your healing where it's needed. And Father, it's with heavy hearts we also pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Sri Lanka this morning. For the lives that were lost as, as, as our brothers and sisters gathered to worship you on this Easter morning with the uh, terrorist attack that took place, leaving more than 200 dead. We ask for your grace, 
your comfort, your peace to be with those families and the communities, Lord, that, that are um, ailing from this attack. Lord, may the good news of your gospel, that, that you conquered even death itself, bring them comfort this morning. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Invite those who are helping with the morning offering to come forward at this time.
If you are able, please remain standing for our scripture reading this morning. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapters 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to be like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And you may be seated. Lord, we come to you this morning and ask that you would bless the, the reading of your word. And as we gather to reflect uh, and celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this day. I pray that you would give me words to speak and may your gospel be proclaimed and made known this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Right, that's the words that, that these women are greeted with as they arrived at Jesus' tomb early on that first Easter morning some 2,000 years ago. Now they had been, and the disciples had been through quite a whirlwind of 72 hours, hadn't they? Just imagine what it would be like to, to go through the events that they just experienced in such a short time for us as we look back, we look back from the perspective of being after the resurrection and after the cross. And, and, and we look back and think, well, of course, Jesus had to die. Jesus had to rise again. But for them living through it, there was quite a bit of surprise along the way. Just imagine being with Jesus on that Passover night on Thursday. Jesus giving them these instructions and these words to, to share this meal in honor and remembrance of him, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Following supper, seeing Judas's betrayal, the disciples themselves to a person scattered in the wind, Jesus left all by himself. On Friday, the, the trial, the unfair trial that Jesus faced, including false witnesses and charges of blasphemy, the crowd turning on him that had once received him as king into Jerusalem is now shouting, crucify him. Jesus on the cross in agony and pain, suffering in our place. Saying things like, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And to a thief on his right, today you will be with me in paradise. 
two leading religious figures, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, coming and taking the body of Jesus from the cross and placing it in the tomb. And a stone rolled in front in order to keep him in. Then comes Saturday. Holy Saturday. Nothing. Grief, fear, questions, doubt, wondering what this was all for. Was it over? Was there anything more than this? And then Sunday arrives. The women come to the tomb early in the morning. The the preparations for burial had not been able to be completed And so they go in order to finish that early on that first day of the week. As they arrive at the tomb, they see that the stone that once sealed the grave had been removed. Jesus' body is gone, and in its place there are two men here described in a way, very described so we know that them, know them to be angels, tell the women that Jesus is alive. They have come to look for him in a place where dead men are, but he is no longer there. He is risen. Filled with joy and hope and probably some excited confusion, the women rush back and tell the disciples what they had seen. And they don't believe them. They don't believe her. Interesting, isn't it? They consider their the story nonsense and idle talk. And so Peter himself rushes to the tomb and finds it empty himself. And our passage this morning ends with the words that he returned wondering, or maybe another translation says marveling at what had taken place. I want to focus this morning on that word that this, the news, the story that these women tell is nonsense, right? If you think about it, the resurrection is nonsense. It doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective. The world has seen plenty of revolutionaries like Jesus, people who gather followers, who, who build up influence, and then who die and whose followers are scattered, and they stay dead. You see, the difference between these others and Jesus is that his followers claim that he didn't stay dead, but that he is alive. The resurrection itself is a miracle. By definition, it is abnormal. It is out of the ordinary course of events and out of the realm of natural explanation. In other words, it is nonsense. Because it doesn't make sense to our worldly point of view. But it is true. And it makes all the difference in the world. See, there's plenty of evidence that shows that the resurrection did take place. Not a spiritual or or resurrection of some sort, but, but a real physical resurrection. First of all, there's the empty tomb. Right? There are stories of grave robbers who may have come and stolen the body. The disciples themselves could have come and taken it in order to to perpetuate this myth of resurrection. But all of those could have easily been proven untrue and would have simply by producing a body. But no body was ever produced. And then we have the resurrection appearances themselves. Jesus appearing in the flesh to multiple people over multiple days, to disciples and skeptics alike. To multiple people at the same time, Paul reporting up to 500 at once. Right, one person can have a delusion, but it's impossible for multiple people to have the same delusion at the same time. And even at the time of the writing of the New Testament, many of those eyewitnesses were still alive. Paul even says, if you want to know about it, go and talk to them. They can tell you what they saw. So Paul was writing while those accounts could have easily been disproven, but they weren't. And then there's the evidence of the church itself. 
11 disciples, some 120 followers at the time of Jesus' death, went on to change the world. Cowardly, confused, and scattered before the resurrection, but afterwards they were bold and powerful and unafraid, and even willing to die for this claim. What changed? Jesus is alive. He's no longer dead. And the presence of the Holy Spirit that he promised to his disciples No one, let alone multiple people, would be willing to die for a known lie. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, one of the, the leading Jewish rulers of the Sanhedrin tells the council this. He says, speaking about what they should do about this new Jesus movement, he tells the Sanhedrin, In the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it was from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And that's exactly what we have in this case, right? The church is born, and 2,000 years later, we are gathering in a building halfway across the world to celebrate the fact that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He He is risen. And it's God himself that raised him from the dead. Throughout the book of Acts, the disciples make this point and say that the resurrection is the key to truly understanding Jesus' life, his ministry, and his death. It's in the resurrection that God vindicated Jesus. He's not the blasphemer they accused him of being. Rather, he is the Son of God himself. And Jesus, in living again and being resurrected, has conquered sin and death for us. As the scriptures teach us, and Jesus himself said in Mark 10:45 that he has come to lay down his life as a ransom for many. In other words, it was his death that paid the price for us. And it's his life now that proves that that death was worth it. Jesus willingly laid down his life in order to rescue us. And his, and his resurrection proves that God has received that sacrifice on our behalf. Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. See, the grave could not hold Jesus. It could not hold the God and the giver of all life. That is why we are here this morning. That is why we gather as Christians to celebrate on Easter Sunday. But what does the resurrection mean for us? If Jesus is alive today, if he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he's given us his spirit so that we can know him and be in relationship with him, what does it mean for me? Well, first of all, we know that it is the most important truth in the world. In 1 Corinthians 15 Paul goes on and explains why the resurrection is is of utmost importance. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, we are, you are, excuse me, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died For our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, 
and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. See, the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without that, we have no gospel. It is of first importance. It's the most important thing we could ever know and believe. C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So the gospel is Jesus' death and resurrection. It means that our sins are forgiven. Right, that, and, and if there is no resurrection, then there is no forgiveness of sins. Paul goes on to say that in 1 Corinthians 15, later on in the chapter. He said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, the resurrection is the key to it all. If Christ had stayed dead, if he was still in his tomb, there would be no forgiveness of sins. It was his death and his resurrection that guaranteed our forgiveness, that saved us from our sins and brought us into a relationship with God. And therefore, we have died to our sin. Christ died for our sins and he was raised again for our justification. And it's through Jesus and in Jesus that all of God's promises have been fulfilled. All throughout the book of Acts, as the disciples go and proclaim the resurrection it's, and proclaim the gospel, it's the resurrection that is the key to it all. It's in Jesus, the fact that Jesus died for our sins and God raised him again from the grave, that we all have hope. And not just, not just for a certain, people of, certain group of people that, were li- that had lived at a certain time period, but for all of us here today, our hope is in a living Savior. So our sins are forgiven. It also means that God's word is true. Notice as the women arrive at the tomb, the angels that are there, they point first and foremost to Jesus being alive and the words that Jesus had spoken to them. Jesus had predicted his death and his resurrection on three separate occasions in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus predicted that he would suffer and die and be raised to life. And if that didn't happen, then we could simply write off Jesus as a liar or a lunatic. But if it did happen, we have to take his word seriously in all of them. You know, not just the the red letters in the Gospels, but all of God's word. If Jesus is God in the flesh, and if he is the word of God, then in all of Scripture is God breathed and inspired, then we must take all of it seriously. See, the resurrection wasn't something new that the disciples came up with. It would have been God's plan all along. We see in passages throughout the Old Testament of this, this looking forward, this pointing to the day when God would, would raise his Messiah to life and when all of God's people would be raised to life as a result of that. We see it in passages like Daniel 12.2 and, and Psalm 16.10. See, the word of God is central to helping people understand and believe the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. The angels in the tomb point to the words of Jesus. Later on in Luke 24, as he meets the disciples along the road, it's, it's the scriptures that Jesus points to. And when Jesus gathers with his disciples again, uh, in later in Luke chapter 24, it's the scriptures that, that, God, that Jesus points to and, and helps them to understand the truth of what had happened. 
And so we need God's word to help us understand it too. And so we need to read it. We need to discuss it. We need to listen to it preached and taught. And we need to pray that God would open our hearts and minds to what the scriptures say so that we too can understand it. So God has forgiven our sins in Christ. It's his word that helps us to understand it. And then he's finally, he's also given us a mission. You see, the first witnesses to the resurrection were the women. All four Gospels make this point clear. And in fact, it's even further evidence that this story is true. In that day, women were not considered to be credible witnesses in a court of law. And so if the disciples wanted to make up a story in in order to trick people into believing that the resurrection happened, the women would be the last people they'd pick to bring the news. The women were the first witnesses of the resurrection, but they're also the first evangelists, the first missionaries, the first preachers. After remembering the words of Jesus, they rush back and they tell the disciples, who of course don't believe them. Peter then goes to the tomb himself to investigate. And and this exchange is really a great model of evangelism for us. First, we need to be willing to testify to what we have seen and heard. First John chapter 1 uh, the letter begins with this, this exclamation of, we're telling you the things that we have experienced, the things we've seen with our own eyes, that we have heard with our ears, the things that we have, we have felt and we have touched. Jesus, the risen Lord and Messiah. And so we need to be willing to say what we have seen and heard and experienced, how God has impacted and affected our lives. And then we need to invite others to come and see. Peter is, is, takes this as an invitation to go and rush to the tomb and examine it for himself. When Jesus has a conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, the woman goes back to the town and tells them, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? There's this invitation. It's not about what I can convince you of. It's not about my words, but, but you come and see and experience for yourself. That's what, that's what the heart of evangelism and sharing the gospel is, is really all about. Because ultimately, it's not us who will save, but it is God. He'll do the saving. Later on, and after the townspeople come and, and, and speak to Jesus themselves, they tell the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. They were able to come and see and experience God's grace for themselves. Ultimately, as you know, it is God who saves. He's the one that makes faith grow in us. And so we are all witnesses. We can all follow this example of the women and the disciples here in this passage. And Jesus commands us to do just that. As he meets with the disciples at the end of Luke chapter 24, at the end of Luke's gospel, and then again at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus gives them that command to go. You will be my witnesses. The forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, and you are going to be the ones who will do it. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You will receive power from the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, until the ends of the earth. That is why we are here this morning, to proclaim the risen Christ, to fully trust in God's word, and to proclaim the good news to a world who desperately needs to hear that the Savior is alive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good news. We thank you for the gospel, which, has, which is about Jesus' death and resurrection. Help us to 
to understand it and believe it for ourselves. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand and let's sing number 234, Crown Him with Many Crowns.
Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Now may you go in the peace and in the joy of our risen Savior. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Go in peace.